Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is Tuesday of the 17th week in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O God, protector of those who hope in you, without whom nothing has firm foundation, nothing is holy. Bestow in abundance your mercy upon us, and grant that with you as our ruler and guide, we may use the good things that pass in such a way as to hold fast even now to those that ever endure. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Exodus. Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, at some distance from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. Anyone who had to consult the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise. Every man would stand at the door of his tent and watch Moses until he reached the tent. The pillar of cloud would come down and station itself at the entrance to the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When they saw the pillar of cloud stationed at the entrance to the tent, all the people would rise and bow low, each at the door of his tent. The Lord would speak with Moses face to face, as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would turn back to the camp. But the young man who was his servant, Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the tent. Moses stood with the Lord on the mountain. He called on the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God of tenderness and compassion, slow to anger, rich in kindness and faithfulness. For thousands he maintains his kindness, forgives faults, transgression, sin, yet he lets nothing go unchecked, punishing the father's fault in the sons and in the grandsons to the third and fourth generation. And Moses bowed down to the ground at once and worshipped. If I have indeed won your favour, Lord, he said, let my Lord come with us, I beg. True, they are headstrong people, But forgive us our faults and our sins, and adopt us as your heritage. He stayed there with the Lord for forty days and forty nights, eating and drinking nothing. He inscribed on the tablets the words of the covenant, the ten words. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord is kind and merciful. The Lord is kind and merciful. The Lord does deeds of justice, gives judgment for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to Israel's sons. The Lord is kind and merciful. The Lord is compassion and love, slow to anger and rich in mercy. His wrath will come to an end. He will not be angry forever. The Lord is kind and merciful. He does not treat us according to our sins, 
nor repay us according to our faults. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so strong is his love for those who fear him. The Lord is kind and merciful. As far as the east from the west, so far does he remove our sins. As a father has compassion on his sons, the Lord has pity on those who fear him. The Lord is kind and merciful. Alleluia, alleluia. The seed is the word of God. Christ is the sower. All who come to him will live forever. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Leaving the crowds, Jesus went to the house And his disciples came to him and said, Explain the parable about the darnel in the field to us. He said in reply, The sower of the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed is the subjects of the kingdom. The darnel, the subjects of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them, the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. The reapers are the angels. Well then, just as the darnel is gathered up and burnt in the fire, so it will be at the end of time. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that provoke offences, and all who do evil, and throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. Then the virtuous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Listen, anyone who has ears. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so as we go through the book of Exodus, we're getting some little snippets. Uh, You know, a few verses here, a few verses there, a few verses there. So, you know, we get a little bit of a mosaic of the book. Um, But unfortunately, I suppose because of the, you know, constraint of time, uh, the church has to be a little bit selective about what she presents. And so consequently... We miss a few little details as to what's happened in the meantime and what happens in the intervening verses. There are a few little details that are very useful, I think. Um, So, just to put a bit of context on this reading, yesterday Moses came down from the mountain with the two tablets of the Ten Commandments, found the Israelites up to no good, busy with idol worship of the golden calf. Now, here's the problem. Only 40 days before, God had ratified a covenant with them. They'd entered into this deep abiding relationship of belonging, a blood relationship, a family relationship. I'm yours, you're mine. And if you remember this sacrifice of the bulls on the altar and the blood being spilled on the altar and the blood being spilled on the people, um, all of this was a sign of the oath that they'd sworn. You're my God. And so our adherence to the Ten Commandments, to the law, to the Book of the Covenant, that's a sign of our belonging. So, the golden calf then, it, it, it's not just God getting grumpy, saying, oh, look, why can't you guys just be grateful for what I did in, in rescuing you from Egypt? No, it's far more problematic than that. 
they broke the first commandment, the one of belonging to God alone. Now, if you listened yesterday, one of the important points that we kind of made was that, hey, look, you know what? If you break this oath, if you break this blood covenant, what you lose is yourself. If in saying to God, I belong entirely to you, and I then break that covenant, what do I lose? Myself. Why? Because I gave myself away, and I've now broken that friendship with God. They made the oath, cross my heart, hope to die. If I'm unfaithful, I lose myself. And so God ends up in a bit of tension, right? (laughs) In order to be faithful to the covenant, what does God need to do? Well, actually, allow the people to feel the consequence of their actions. And there's a moment there where God says, that's it, I'm done with these people. (laughs) Had enough. Now, that's not God saying, I changed my mind. Don't love these people after all. That's God saying, well, that's the consequence. One of the symbolic things that Moses does uh, as a sign to the people is these two brand new tablets of the Ten Commandments that God had just finished inscribing. (laughs) He takes... And he crushes to bits. It's a sign because that's what the people have done with the covenant. You've taken your relationship with God and broken it to bits. You've broken yourselves to bits. Now, this serves as a little aside. Uh, The golden calf. Moses takes it, burns it grinds it up into fine dust, scatters the gold dust into the waters, and then makes the people drink it. It almost seems like an anti-communion. Take and eat. It is dead. It will give you no life. It will give you no nourishment. You want your gold? Have your gold. It brings nothing. We can see pretty powerfully then that the consequence of unfaithfulness to the covenant, it really is death. Turn your back on the God of life. What do you lose? Your life. And it's not because God's grumpy, but it's a fairly basic spiritual physics. Adam and Eve found that out. So what to do about a broken covenant? What's God going to do? And he looks over to Moses and he goes, All right, Moses, you weren't part of this idolatry. You're up on the mountain with me. How about you be the new beginning? Twelve tribes of Moses got a ring to it, doesn't it? It's at this point that Moses starts to plead with God. And what he does is, instead of breaking himself off from the people, instead of laying claim to his status as the one who didn't sin, he identifies himself more intimately with them. He says, look, Lord, you know, forgive their sins, be merciful to them. And if not, then blot me out from the book that you have written. Lord, count me among them. And then Moses starts to reason with God. And he says a few things. He goes, all right, look, okay. Yes, they're a pain in the backside. I get it. But, Lord, you did kind of make a promise 
to Abraham. Didn't you? To make his descendants as many as the grains of sands on the seashore? And, you know, do you really want to give Pharaoh the satisfaction? You know, lead your sons and daughters out and then, you know, slaughter them at the foot of Mount Sinai? Because if Israel was supposed to be the older brother of all the nations and, you know, you slay the older brother, um, the younger brothers, they're not going to come to you, are they? And then lastly, there's this beautiful moment where Moses sort of says, Hey, look, Lord, if it's not for their sake, then what about for mine? He says this, he goes, right, if you're not going with us yourself, do not make us leave this place. By what means can it be known that I, I and my people, have won your favour, if not by going with us? By this we shall be marked out, I and my people, from all the peoples on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, again, I will do what you have asked, because you have won my favour, and because I know you by name. Again, Moses identifies himself so closely with the sinful people. He says, look, Lord, if I've won your favor, and clearly he has because, you know, God wants to start the new people from this new root of Moses. He says, well, if I've won your favor, Lord, then receive these people as well. I think all of this helps us to understand a little bit of what Jesus is doing in his passion. Because the Lord Jesus becomes the one who pleads insistently on behalf of a sinful humanity by identifying himself with them. He's the son of the father, the true innocent one, the one in whom the father is well pleased. And we can hear the words of Moses echoing through Christ's sacrifice. Lord God, if I've found your favour then remember, I am one of these people too. Have mercy on them. Moses becomes the representative and exemplar of the people under this new covenant. But now so does Jesus, but in a far more profound way. Everything that's indicated here in the covenant with Moses gets taken up and fulfilled in Jesus. See, this broken covenant really is a deep problem. What do you do as a kind and loving father? A promise has been broken. A kind and loving father would, on the one hand, let his child feel the weight of the consequences of their actions. But on the other hand, a loving father is also merciful. His justice and his mercy, they kind of stand in this rather awkward tension. And you can see Moses feels it, right? He says, look, you're right. They, they're, they're a headstrong people. The broken covenant calls for justice. But remember, it's a covenant. These people belong to God. And so the covenant also calls for mercy. So here comes the extraordinary generosity of God. What Moses began in pleading for the people comes to its fulfillment in Jesus because God now sends his own son, born into a sinful humanity, takes upon himself the sins of humanity, and there he becomes the one representative who faces the true consequence 
of covenant unfaithfulness. It's death. And it's not because God is vengeful and bloodthirsty and demands the blood of his son, but because Jesus freely lays down his life. And so where Moses was able to kind of negotiate a new peace, a renewal of the covenant with the sinful people, Jesus is able to enter into the full dysfunction of human sin, remain entirely faithful to God, suffer the consequence of sin, and rise to new life to become the beginning of a new covenant, to be the true resolution to the real problem of sin, which is death. Remember how we said that justice and mercy kind of stand in this awkward tension here with with Moses as he's pleading with God? Well, we can see how mercy gushes forth from the open heart of Jesus because he is the one who has identified himself so intimately with us that he is the one who drinks the cup of God's justice. Now, there's a both and here. Remember how God had said to Moses, all right, fine, I'll make you the new beginning. And Moses said, well, look, if I become the new beginning, that means that you have to destroy everyone else. Don't destroy them. Well, Jesus does become the new beginning, the start of a new covenant, of a whole new creation, and not by means of the destruction of sinners, but by means of their resurrection. The sons and daughters of Abraham can still become as many as the grains of sand on the seashore. You can still be faithful to that covenant, but it'll be fulfilled in a new one, a more perfect one, and eternal one that will not be broken by death because death has finally been resolved. That unfaithfulness to God has finally been resolved in Jesus. Moses said, look at our relationship, God. Like, you know, if I've found favor with you, then extend that favor to the people. Jesus has done the same. He is the beloved son And we are drawn into his life. And so the favor which belongs to the Son is now the favor which is extended to us. Jesus has identified himself with us. But not just by means of words, but by means of the flesh. He was born into the human family in the incarnation. But more than that, He has shared his life with us by drawing us into his body. He identifies with us in a miraculous way by making us members of his body. So closely united by the same life that he lives, so as to become parts of himself. He identifies himself with us so that he dies our death for us, And he identifies himself so intimately with us that we rise to his resurrection, to his new life. And while we live this new life in Christ, 
it is made manifest to us. It becomes visible, right? And it is nourished in us by means of the Eucharist. The Eucharist becomes the outward sign of the merciful love of God and of the incredible sacrifice of Jesus. And so when you receive Holy Communion, imagine this. Jesus looks towards the Father and says, Father, as I am your beloved Son, this one now too is your beloved Son, your beloved daughter. And then Jesus looks towards us and says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Remain in my love. Let us welcome Christ into our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. And we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick. At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, salvation of the Roman people, know what we need. We are certain that you will provide so that as you did in Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen. We seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our pleas, we who are put to the test, and deliver us from every danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.